Good morning. It's good to have the body together. My mission today is to make the Trinity practical. And we, it's, a, it's kind of a follow-up or a continuation of last week and last weekend where we dealt with Does the Trinity Matter in Think 09? We invited a theologian to come in, Dr. Ware, who did a, a phenomenal job, I thought, of dealing with the Trinitarian question and how it relates to the church. And I've become convinced of this, that the Trinity is, is a difficult thing to wrestle with. And, and I'm glad for that because God's not someone we can put into a box and say, I've got you figured out. And so when I think Trinity, one of the things I think is, I don't have you figured out, God, and I'm glad I don't. <clears throat> and yet it also is something that what we typically have done historically is we've said we believe, and we've even cited our we believe things, and we said we believe there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, can't understand it, put it on a shelf, let me go talk about something else that maybe I can understand. And in one sense, you're right, you'll never understand it. But on the other hand, as the community of faith, we ought to be grappling and groping, going after. We need to know God, we need to know Him better, and the Trinity is a core reality of who God is. So I came up with, and it's not a very Trinitarian number, but five, just a, you know, it's three plus two or something like that. <clears throat> Five reasons the Trinity matters at College Park, and there are many more. And in the last couple of years of my life, which is one of the reasons I appreciate Mark giving me an opportunity uh, to, to actually have a Think 09 where we talk about the Trinity and then to follow up this week with, with just so, some of the practical implications because my heart has been overwhelmed with the, the distance of God, that he's so great that he's triune, and yet the nearness of God and that his Trinity makes a difference to me so that sometimes I've said my wife probably gets sick of me saying, oh, that seems like the Trinity, that seems Trinitarian. She's like, ah. And yet she's gotten to where she thinks that more. So this is going to be a topical study. It's a little bit different than, I'm, than I usually do. We're going to be dealing with some scriptures. And then the focus is going to be how does it relate to College Park? <clears throat> does the Trinity, <clears throat> excuse me, does it matter to us here at College Park? <clears throat> and, and, and here's what has been helpful to me. And I, I brought my visual aid. And I'm going to do it right at the beginning. And it's <clears throat> a visual aid that it's, it's a lens. And in the first service... <clears throat> I had this big T in the middle, and it, it got all bent up and didn't look that good, and I thought it may have been kind of corny anyway. But So I'm, I'm a little more civil. Here's, here's what's been helpful to me in the last couple of years. As, as I've looked at the world, and I've looked at my life, and I've looked at my relationships, and I, have, and I haven't done it well, and I haven't done it perfectly, but I'm going to encourage you to do this with me, and that is to put on this lens and, and just pretend like this is a Trinitarian lens. So you're looking at the world... Man, it doesn't look like much when I look there. <laughs> when you look through the lenses of who is God and let God interpret the world, rather than here's what we typically do. We look at the world and let the world interpret God for us. Now, and, and we ought to do exactly the opposite. You ought to buy yourself a pair of glasses and get everyone in your family a pair of whatever kind of glasses, call them Trinitarian glasses, and say, here's what our mission is. You're not looking at this thing very godly. You're not looking at it through the lenses of who God is. We need to look at all of the world through the lens of who in the world is God, and God is at his core, Father, Son, and Spirit. So the mission this morning, should you decide to accept, <clears throat> is to let's review some things in the world through the lenses of a triune God. And at the core of God being triune is this, and this is wonderful for me to think about, is that God is relational. And let me just tell you a little bit about that, and then we've got to go at these points because I'm, I'm, I'm already sensitive to time. We sometimes think of God like <clears throat> on Star Wars, he's the force. And then we'll say, no, 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 he's not exactly the force. Is that really God or what is it? And I remember when those movies were out, that was kind of one of those debates. And yet even as Christians, we'll say God is this. He's somewhere out there and he's certainly, he's all powerful. He's all knowing. And you know at the core of what God is, he is that. He is all those things. He's all powerful. He is the force in a sense, but he's a person. And part of the way you know he's a person is because he is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who relate to each other. The Father loves the Son, loves the Spirit, loves the Father. And I know when you think about that, it's kind of like, okay, and yet there's one God. I, I can't fully entertain and understand all of that, but at least understand this and start with these lenses that say God is relational, which is why in 1 John, John says this, God is love. 
And, and really, I think we just say that. We're not sure what that means. Here's what it means. God's relational, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And at the heart of true relationship is love. And, and love does this. Love understands diversity. There's difference. And love brings it together and says we can find unity within our diversity. Like God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And I think the Father adores the diversity of the Son and the Spirit. And yet, together, they become, and the church affirms, there's one God. All right, so here we go. We got our Trinitarian lenses. There they are. They're going to help adjust our focus as we look at some of these areas of the world. And we're going to start with this, God's relationship to us. <clears throat> and I've got five texts we're going to look at this morning. If you'd like to jump in your Bible, that would be great. Or I'm going to have them up here on the screen. The first one is this. It's in 1 Corinthians 8, 4 to 6. And I discovered this verse a couple of years ago as I was reading this journal article And it was a verse that normally I would just read over really, really quickly. And I was caused to stop and to find, for me, this is one of the most encouraging verses I've read in years. So how's that? And this is one of those Trinity lens verses that helps me to better understand the world. And look, it's a couple verses, and it actually fits in a whole context. And, And here's what it says. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And if you know anything about the church in Corinth... These guys had big-time problems. They had problems all over the place. Their core problem was they didn't know God, and not only that, but they didn't understand the beauty of the triune God. And and one of their problems was they were wondering whether they could eat meat that had been offered to idols. Same problem you guys have every day. You're waking up. Can I eat meat offered to idols? That's that's part of the scripture. I would imagine nobody's... I've never had that problem. I've never woken up, never one second in my life that I think, can I eat meat offered to idols? And yet I have asked a whole lot of other questions. And when you read through 1 Corinthians, it's full of questions. And at the core of those questions, here's what Paul says. And I think this is focal to the entire First and Second Corinthians. He says this, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know this, that an idol is no real existence. You know, idols are pretend. They're phony. They're fake. They're not real. They're just pretend. People make them up. Right? Idols no real existence. Here's reality. And there is no God but one God. There's one God. And if you're a Christian, you would affirm and we would stand and cite our creeds. And I'm glad we cite our creeds. And I know sometimes we're not used to that, so it may be a little hard. But man, get used to it. We believe in one God. One God. (laughs) And And the Jews would have said, right on. There's no God but one. And then verse 5, he says, For although, you know, there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and a lot of people pretend, a lot of people do a lot of stuff in life, and they conjure up a ton of gods. Unless you think we don't do that, you ought to think again. Put on your Trinitarian lenses, and I'm here to tell you that we spend our lives worshiping false gods like our money, like our cars, like our relationships, like you can go on and on. But we think we're more sophisticated because they don't look like these little blocks of wood. We don't worship blocks of wood. We worship sophisticated cars of steel. We're the steel age. And I think, yeah, maybe you ought to go back to blocks of wood. <laughs> and then look at the, look at this sixth, this sixth verse is just phenomenal. Yet for us, there's one God. Yeah, and then look at how he defines that God. He says, one God, he's the father from whom are all things, he's the creator, and for whom we exist, he's the sustainer. And then, and here's what would have boggled the Jewish mind. (laughs) And there is one Lord Jesus who is also God, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. And here's what Paul is asserting. And I wish he'd had one other statement. And and he did it right, and I would have been wrong. I wish he'd also said, and one Holy Spirit, and then whatever the right preposition would have been there, are all things and through whom we exist or whatever. And by the way, he's going to pick up the the, the Holy Spirit in a couple chapters. So you want to read 1 Corinthians, and when you get to the the 12th chapter, the Holy Spirit's going to engage right in there. So you've got Father, Son, and Spirit. There is one God. And Paul then just starts to open the nuance of that one God. You know, we're pretty good at, okay, there's one God, we all affirm that. But then he at least lets us into this little mystery of the Godhead that, by the way, that one God is Father and Son. And later on, that'll probably blow your mind already, so I'm going to hang on until a couple chapters later. And then I'm going to say, and Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit. (laughs) Well, 
So what difference does that make? Let's put on our Trinitarian lenses, College Park. Here's what, here's, here's the way we ought to look at that. And, 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 and let me just assert this and affirm this, and I think we're all going to say this together, and yet I'm not so sure we all live it. College Park Church, we have one God. And Trinitarian theology argues for one God, not three. It's not a tritheism. It's a one God. And we're to worship him. And the terms of relationship with God are clear. He's God and you are not. And some of us really cringe at that. I mean, we don't hear when we're in church. But we do when we're out of church. Because it's like, well, wait a minute. God, when I'm sick, are you really God? When my 401k tanks... Like, all 401Ks are going to tank. I mean, whether they tank today or tomorrow or at the end, they're all, I mean, they're all going to do that. Who's really God? He's God, we're not. If you were here last week, you heard, I thought, a really cool sermon on Isaiah 40 saying that God is self-existent. He doesn't need you or me. He's God, and we ought to get that right. We ought to get our lenses on. And as good Trinitarian lens people, we say, He's God, I'm not. And that's good. That's really good. It's our privilege to be in relationship with him. You see, that God who is the supreme God comes to his people and says, you can have a relationship with me. It's going to be on my terms because my terms are right because I'm God and you're not. Let me, let, me, let me just flesh this out a little bit and I want to go through this a little bit quickly because I, I think some of the others may be a little bit more we may not be as familiar with. Paul then is going to develop on this concept, this beginning concept of the Trinity, but the oneness of God. And if, if you go to the 10th chapter, and again, I'll just read it. There's one short phrase in 1 Corinthians 10, 7, and here's what he says negatively. There's one God. Negatively, do not be idolaters. Now, you know what idolaters are? They functionally act like there's more than one God. We have a church of confessional monotheists. We say there's one God and practical polytheists. We act like there's a whole bunch of gods. And at College Park Church, we need to affirm and unite our hearts together and confess together there is only one God and he's not going to tolerate any other gods before him. He, Father, Son, and Spirit is first. And maybe I should have said he is one And part of that for us ought to be this. If you want to worship that God, you don't just put your idols aside. You crush your idols. Because that's what God does. One of the good things about depressions, recessions, and I don't like depressions. I don't like recessions. I like it to just keep flowing. And one of the good things about that is it starts, God, it's almost like God's going to smash some of our idols for us. (laughs) I got my, 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 my retirement thing yesterday in the mail. I hate getting that in the mail nowadays. Because it's just like, I wonder, okay, can you go below zero someday? I mean, the trend is, it's not going to be long when it'll be like, you're not retiring ever. And, and frankly, I don't ever really want to retire in, in one sense. But, but as I look at that, I think, okay, God, you're taking an idol and you're smashing it. You're burning up my stuff. You're burning up my idols. I don't even have a choice. Thank you, God. And yet, man... Or, or, you know, here's what we are supposed to do, and you ought to make this real at College Park Church. If you're a Trinitarian thinker and you put your lenses on and you go home this afternoon, here's what you ought to do. You shouldn't just lay aside your idols. You ought to start smashing idols. You ought to start getting rid of them. If they're possessions, maybe they're other relationships. Maybe it's your health, power, position, religion. I could go on and on. You know, I could preach, you could preach a whole sermon on this, couldn't you? That God says, I'm one. And when he says he's one, he also says this, don't have any idols. Okay. We're kind of familiar with that. Let me give you the other side, because there's a positive side to the oneness of God. And the churches that just preach, don't have any idols, that's an appropriate message. Let me give you the other side, and it's in verse 31 of chapter 10. And Paul continues on, and I think it's in this Trinitarian mold. He says this, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do whatever feels good. He says, do it all to the glory of God, doesn't he? And you know what? As, 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 as I have these Trinitarian lenses on it, I think about that nuance, and it boggles my mind a little bit. Here's what God doesn't say. He doesn't say, since I am one God, quit eating, quit drinking, and quit doing everything else, because I'm God. He doesn't say that. Matter of fact, he encourages you to do this. He encourages you to eat, right? But you want to eat to the glory of God. So when you get that steak... <laughs> And my definition of eating is steak. You know, that's how I define it. It's a good steak. 
you cut it, and you take it into your mouth. Can you eat a steak to the glory of God? You better be able to eat a steak to the glory of God. Now, if you eat too many steaks, it may not be to the glory of God. If you eat steak at every meal, it's not to the glory of God. But on that occasion, and you taste that, and you taste and see that that's good, and there ought to be some sense in which you say, like, I taste a steak that is good. I taste that God is good. Because God's triune. And as a matter of fact, you eat, you drink, and then I love this third thing, whatever you do, so if you're not into eating, you're not into drinking, then whatever else, fill in the blank. We need to do it to the glory of God. And that's not an, is that a negative? Where's the negative in that statement? It's a, it's a really positive statement, isn't it? It's for the church of Jesus Christ to affirm together, we are Trinitarian and therefore we believe there's one God and we're going to bring every facet of our life under the glory of that one God. So eat that steak to the glory of God. And maybe what you'll find as you're eating that steak to the glory of God is maybe you share that steak with your neighbor. And maybe you realize, okay, I don't have to eat steak because maybe there's something else I'm going to do to the glory of God. But whatever you're doing and the diversity of the Godhead says, hey, with diversity, find all those things in life. And, 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 and it's not a matter of cut all these things out in life. It's a matter of let's figure out all those things in life and how we can bring them to become glorifying to God. And man, I love a church that says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to enjoy the beauty and the glory of God and we're going to do it all to the glory of God. <laughs> That's what College Park needs to be about. Now, number... I guess I forgot to put that up there, didn't I? Number two. So we start off with our Trinitarian lenses and we say, as good Trinitarian lens people, there's one God and so we're going to smash our idols and we're going to make our entire life and all the diversity of life bring glory to him. And then I want to bring it down a little closer to home and I want to talk about family relationships. You see, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit lives in perfect unity together and yet there's diversity within the Godhead and it's relational and the verse that I want to just use is kind of, a, you can see it there. It's first, or it's Genesis, the first book in the Bible, 1, 26 and 27. This is a great Trinitarian verse. And just, just think about it a little bit. You're familiar with it. It's in the context of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is like one of the really crucial chapters in all the Bible because we find out at the very beginning, in the beginning, God, and you're not. I love that. In the beginning, God, not in the beginning, me, then God. It's no, in the beginning, God, then me. Got to get that order right. And in the beginning, God. And, and then, it, then it talks about this. You know, have you ever wondered why in the world God created, created such a diverse universe? Maybe it's because he's triune. Let me rephrase that. It is because he's triune that he said, let there be light and let let me separate the light and the darkness. And then he made all kinds of flowers and all kinds of grass and all kinds of stuff. And I don't know about you, but you ought to go out. I can't wait for spring. Can you? I mean, you know what I love about spring? It's the freshness of newness and stuff and it's all over the place. And by the way, for those of you that made a couple sermons ago, I talked about, remember my hawk? A couple of you remember the hawk? The hawk came back yesterday. I'm serious. Flew in the nest. And I, I can't get up here and lie, can I? I mean, a hawk. Why did God make hawks? I don't know, to be in my backyard so I could be enamored with hawks. And he made chickens and he made, you know, orangutan. He made all that kind of stuff. And then at the end, it says this. Then God said, I'm done creating except let us. You got to love that pronoun, right? I mean, you got to love all pronouns. But that one is a personal pronoun. He didn't say let it. It's let us. It's a plural pronoun. It's not let me. And I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a full affirmation of Trinity, although I gotta believe this, that God, even in Genesis 1, is revealing a little bit of it about himself, and it's like, don't just think I'm some force. Don't just think I'm some impersonal thing out there. I am a personal God. And not only that, but there's, there's beauty in the diversity of who God is. So he says, us is really, let us make man in our image after our likeness. When I'm done creating this incredible diversity that is a universe, my stamp on that universe, not disuniverse, right? It's unified together with all its diversity. The stamp on the universe is my image and my image is man. And then he goes on and let them have dominion over all that diversity, over the fish, you fishermen of the sea, <laughs> and over the birds, you birdmen and women of the sky or whatever, and over the living livestock, and over all the earth, and over every, and I love this, creep, God made creeping things. You know, those creepers that creep along the earth. 
And, it, and it's as if to say, God made this incredible diversity and here's what's going to bring it together. It's going to be my image, man. You're to have dominion over all that earth. And then verse 27 says this, so God created man in his own image. And, and this is a great Hebrew phrase in verse 27. It's got three parts to it. It's poetic and it actually is parallel. And it says, so God created man in his own image. And then it repeats the same thing, just reverses it. It's kind of cool. In the image of God created he him. Same thing, reversed. So you come to the third line, where he's saying the same thing, but amplifying it. And he says, male and female created he them. Us created them. (laughs) The triune God created his image, and his image is this. It's humanity, and at the core of the diversity of humanity is we are male and female. In the old days, when the babies were born, they used to say... Nobody says this anymore, but it was kind of cool in the old days because I remember it. Oh, is it a boy or a girl? Because you didn't know until that moment. There, hey, it's a boy or it's a girl. And then all of life changes, whether it's a boy or a girl. Colors change. Things change. There's a beauty to maleness and femaleness because God created us. Uh, you know what I'm really thankful for? I'm, I'm thankful God didn't create clones that were all of the same gender and all looked exactly the same. How incredibly non-godlike would that be? Especially it would be non-godlike if they all look like me. I mean, that would be the worst of all horrors on planet Earth. He created diversity, and diversity at its core is male and female. And he said, you are, here's your responsibility, males and female, and female image bearers. You're to, your responsibility is to image me. You're to reflect me into the, on the world. You're to make me known to this cosmos of creatures. <laughs> and here's the basic way you do that. You've you've probably wondered, what does it mean to be an image bearer of God? At its core, to be an image of God is to be one who relates rightly to God. It's relational. We relate rightly to God. And then as his image, we relate rightly to the cosmos, to the world, to humans who are image bearers and to the rest of the world. You know, they'll know we are Christians by our theological statements on the Web page. We got it down. We nailed it. By the way, theological statements on the webpage are important, but here's what's really important. They'll know we're Christians by our love. And that isn't just some ushy-gushy, they're ushy-gushy people. They're people that know how to relate. We watch their husbands and wives. We watch their children. We watch their singles. We watch their teens. And here's what we see. At the core nucleus of family, they image God because they live in love with one another and they're submitted. You know, I can see, you know, I, I, the Trinity is a hard thing for me to understand, but I understand it a little bit because I know this family where the husband, wife, and kids, they're all really different. I mean, they, they're really different. And yet they all come together in unity and they express the glory of that triune God. Wow, that's what we were created for. So whatever else you're doing... It wasn't what you were created for. Let me give a couple of just kind of practical, let's kind of pound it in a little bit. As image bearers, we show God to the world in our relationships. You know what what Jesus said when he was asked, so what's the greatest commandment? And, and you know, when I, when you read that, you would think he would, he pick one of the ten, Lord, you got ten of them, ten commandments, pick the large, pick which, whatever one's the biggest one. And then he said this, what on one level to me used to seem confusing, to me it seems totally unconfusing. He said, it can be summed up in this, love your God, that sounds kind of Trinitarian, love meaning, you know, love is not lust, love is not even really on one level emotional, love is very relational. It's love your God, and then the love of your God will flesh itself out, it will image itself in loving your neighbor. Right? That's the whole command. So get that down, you got it. Get that down in your Trinitarian and your thinking as well. Because God loves, the Father loves, the Son loves, the Spirit, and His image is to love one another. Let me get a little more just kind of down in our face. All right? You know, when it comes to issues at College Park Church like sexuality... And I told my wife I was going to talk a little bit about sex because I figured at this point in the sermon, people may be dozing off because you put your clock ahead. So if I say sex, everybody's going to wake up. Some are going to think, oh, no. Others are going to think, I wonder what he's going to talk about there. She said, be careful, be careful. I said, I will. I will try to be careful. And yet I also want to try to come to the core of who we are. And we are at core male and female. And as a matter of fact, I, I, 
I don't even think this is just a maybe. I think this is, I don't understand a ton about the Trinity, but I think part of the reason that we are male and female is because God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And the diversity of God manifests itself in humanity, in our diversity. At the core of our diversity is our gender. And, and let me ask you something. Do you think... Let me give you sort of the negatives. Do you think it's by accident that when Satan wanted to destroy humanity, that he goes after, he did it from day one after the fall, and he hasn't let up at all, is that he goes after our sexuality? Do you think that's by accident? Do you think it's by accident that when you turn on TV and you start flipping the stations, and even if you're watching a football game or whatever you're watching, that the reality is this, sex sells. And do you know why sex sells? It's because Satan's selling it. That's why. And here's what the church needs to do. The church needs to say we're not buying because we have a much better perspective of that reality because we believe in a triune God. And here's what we typically do. We typically tell our kids, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that because that's evil, because that's sin, because that. You know what? It's good to tell your kids don't do that. But maybe you ought to also say why they shouldn't do that because God Almighty is Father, Son, and Spirit living in perfect unity and he created us as image bearers. And as image bearers, even in, as a matter of fact, maybe especially in our gender And in our sexual understanding that we're to glorify God, that it's not this thing that's separate from God. As a matter of fact, it falls under the beauty and the glory of who God is. And the church needs to redeem our sexuality. So was that careful enough? And while I want to be careful, I also want to be in our faces too and say, you know what? We do tend to say there's certain things that really don't apply to Christian life. Let me have them in my own little circle and I'm just going to keep them and I don't really want to talk about them. I'll tell you what, we ought to be talking about them because Satan is. And Satan's after us. He's after us. And he hasn't stopped. The thing that to me is somewhat ironic about that is he's been doing that for thousands of years and you would think finally humans would wake up and say, I'm not falling for that one. And I tell you what, from generation to generation to generation, we fall at the core of what it means to be an image bearer of God, and it's within the realm of our sexuality. And and I'm not saying everyone's fallen, but I'm saying this, that temptation is out there, and it's out there. It it seems to be out there without fail. And let me just tell you this, that as husbands and wives, and isn't it beautiful that God created us and then said, and you can see in the garden, that was that first marriage of man and woman coming together. And he said, you two shall become one flesh Boy, that sounds Trinitarian. Or it sounds like a reflector of the triune God. I've, I've done some weddings. And a year and a half ago, my daughter got married, which was one of the really cool weddings on planet Earth, except I had these really mixed feelings. It was like, I think it's a good thing she's married, but she's my daughter. So I can't understand why she would prefer one guy over me. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. I've, have not I given you food and drink for all of your life? And have not I loved you and cared for you and protected you? What's he going to do? He ain't going to do anything any better than that. And yet there was something about that day. She looked in, I mean, she was like, wow. And you're not supposed to say that about your daughter, but she was, you know. And I'm walking her down the aisle. That was the one problem, you know, in terms of the beauty of the pictures. Is like, who's that guy next to her? She must come from someplace else. She's coming down the aisle, and then I see this guy up here, and it's like, I know guys clean up pretty well, but I know guys not clean, you know, it's like, I know guys better than I know girls, and I know, you know, there he is, but he looked pretty good on that day, and they come together, (laughs) guys understand that, right, I mean, we, we understand, they come together... And here's what I've said when I'm a, when I'm a preacher. I'm going to say there's... I look at him and I say, aren't you glad there are women in this world? And you know what? Any right-thinking guy would say, yeah, am I glad there's women in the world? And I'm glad there's one woman in the world that's going to be the completer of me. And, and she looks totally different than him. And, and the more different, the more I think, that's really cool. And, she, and then I'll say the same thing to her and I'll say, I don't know what you see in guys, but obviously women must see something in guys. And you're going to come together and then you're going to walk out of here and here's what your mission is. As image bearers of God with your diversity and the beauty of diversity, you come together in one and the world's going to look at you and say, they look like one. Yeah, I know there's kind of a male-female thing there, but rather than saying, I can't, nobody can understand women, we say, somehow that guy's figured out how to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And somehow that woman's learned how and we talked about that last week, has submit like the church is supposed to. And those kind of things that seem to create this great furor in our society are very Trinitarian so that we have people walking out of here after they're married. And my prayer for them isn't for health and wealth. My prayer for them is that they can live to the glory of the triune God. That's, that's the prayer. You want to pray for me? Pray that whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do it all 
to the glory of God. <laughs> well, children, because, you know, first comes marriage. How does that go? They're sitting in a tree kissing. First comes marriage, then comes somewhere. Somebody's pushing a baby carriage anyway. <laughs> and by the way, when I talk about kids, I'm sensitive that we have people in our church that have struggled to conceive. And you know what I think? Can I just share this a little bit with you? I think that's got to be really, really tough. And yet I think there's also a sense in which you can take that opportunity and say, you know what? God loves me. The triune God loves me. And I can worship and serve the triune God. And yeah, I wish that there were these other parts of life, but it isn't as though I'm meaningless or worthless. It's just though God, the triune God still cares about me and I'm engaged in his family. Well, we do have a bunch of kids at College Park. People have figured out how to do that. And over there, we'll tell you, and there's numbers that'll come up here that'll tell you there's kids and there's kids and there's a boatload of kids. And you know what I like to write? We send out these things to people that have kids, and I like to write this. It's from Genesis 1, and it's this. Congratulations on... And, you know, when kids are born, ladies will say, Oh, those kids are so so cute. And then guys will look at it and say, It's so... a baby, you know. And here's what God says. Congratulations on a new image bearer. You want to know what a little kid is? From the day that child is conceived, and read the Psalms and you'll find that to be the case, that child is conceived to be one who bears the image of the Almighty God, the triune God. That makes me shiver then. So when you're holding the kids, hold them carefully, you know? Don't drop them. It isn't just... It's because when you drop a kid, you drop an image bearer of God. When you board a kid... You bored an image bearer of God. You know, that seems to ratchet it up a little bit to me. It seems to say this. Maybe our next generation. And, and frankly, when you read the Psalms, you get this sense of out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, God, or, there's glory that comes. There's almost a sense in which the less they can do, the more they glorify God. And then we get older and we get bigger and we think we're better. And the fact is we're better at not glorifying God. So maybe those little babies really are cute. They're cute image bearers glorifying God by the very fact that they exist and they exist in relationship and the mission of the church is to grow our next generation to be Trinitarian thinkers. So in the womb say, hey little baby, Jesus is one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit or whatever. Um, let, me, let me just give you a practical illustration of that because I've seen this happen. And this is kind of a step in untold. Here's the way you can teach your kid to be more Trinitarian. You can teach your kid that that kid is not the center of the family. Man, that is stepping on toes, isn't it? Neither are you. But for sure, I've seen families where it looks for all the world like when a kid speaks, it's kind of like when God spoke, things happen. When this kid speaks, things happen. Here's Trinitarian. You want to help your kids be more Trinitarian? You say, I can't figure out how to teach them about the Trinity. Teach them how to be obedient to their parents. Teach them how to live in submission. Teach them the world doesn't revolve around them. And that's a hard lesson to learn. And I'm not saying it's easy. And some kids are harder than others. But man, let's go for it. Our teens. I love our teens. Our teens are meeting down the way. I I taught them a couple of weeks ago. Or a couple of months ago. And I I thought, man, whoever the next youth pastor. Before we got our youth pastor. He's got a good deal. Because he's got a bunch of good teens. We got good teens. And here's what makes a good teen. A good teen isn't somebody whose parents say, we can't figure out how to deal with teens. This generation gap, we can't. It's, it's parents that say, there is no generation. Ah, there's age differences. Yeah, I don't like all the stuff you like. But somehow the diversity of who you are and who I am are going to come together in unity. So that the dad that kind of likes different music and likes different kinds of things can look at his son or his daughter and say, you know what, we're one in this family and we're going to figure out how to do Rather than just push him out and say, do your thing and we'll do our thing. We do our thing together. Man, that sounds kind of and singles. We've all been single. That's cool, huh? So we share that. And some have been single longer than they wanted to be single. And again, like the issue of not being able to have children, those are tough, tough things in life. And I'm not trying to pretend they aren't, but I'm going to tell you this, that here's the way we've got to think. And Paul helps singles. He helps singles in 1 Corinthians 7. You ought to go back there and read it. And he says things like this, that if you're single... Here's one of the things you have the privilege of doing, and that is focusing your attention on, and I'm going to say it like this, the triune God. And and I know we'll say as singles, okay, okay, that's okay, but I wish I was married. And you know what? I don't think it's bad to wish you're married unless that becomes an idol. Then I think it's really bad. The desire to be there, but fill your life. It isn't as though your life is worthless. Boy, if you're single, your life can be filled with the glory of God because you're an image bearer of God. He loves you. 
And let your love be manifested to him in ways that would be more difficult to do if you were married. You know what, College Park Church, in our core families, we need to reflect the glory of God. And you know what, we need to put on Trinitarian lenses so that rather than saying the Trinity does, I can't figure out the Trinity, start figuring out the Trinity when you're tempted to argue with your wife. Put on your Trinitarian lenses and say, now, wait a minute, maybe God would do this a little bit differently. Yeah, maybe he would. Well, let's go to the third reason. And you see, here's the flow, at least in my thinking. It starts off with, as a church, we confess there's one God. So we're smashing idols and we're giving all of our life to glorify God. And then in our nuclear family relationships, they come under and we we desire to image God so that when people look at our families, they would say, I see something of the triune God. And man, that better be happening in our churches as well. And the verses in 1 Corinthians 12, this is just... A couple chapters past 1 Corinthians 8, and here it is. You talk about a verse that there ought to be these little sounds of Trinitarian bells ringing in your ear. Because <laughs> here's what it says. For just as the body is one, and by the way, this is all rooted in the oneness of God. The body is one and has many members, one, many, so which is it? Is it one or is it many? And all the members of the body, though many, are one. That's good. So it is with Christ. Which is, which is a pretty cool statement. And then he brings in the Holy Spirit. And he says this, For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slaves or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. We affirm together, and it's in the power of the Holy Spirit, that there is one God... And yet that one God has given us an incredible amount of diversity. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. And if Paul had wanted to, he could have come up with a whole lot more diversity. As a matter of fact, if you read in that chapter 12, chapter 12 is a whole chapter of diversity. It's talking about various different gifts, various different, the realities of the church. All this reality of the church comes together in one unity. We've all been baptized in one spirit. <laughs> I love that. Well, let, me, let me just bring it home a little bit. Put it on our Trinitarian lenses. Let's look at College Park Church. I want, to, I want to talk just a minute about corporate worship. I love corporate worship at College Park. Don't you? And there's a few that would say yes. I think most of us would say yes. That's probably why we're here. And you know what? When you come together with the assembly, and there's something unique about corporate worship, every day, every minute of your life ought to be worship, right? We all know that. Maybe we really don't know that, but we kind of know that that theoretically is true. But when we come together in corporate worship, there's something unique about it. There's something unique about the body of Christ. And before you come to corporate worship, here's what you ought to do. You ought to smash all your idols. Because we're coming to worship God. Right? So, But but we're worshiping God with diversity. And here's... I, I worked a long time to come up with this one statement. And I ran it by Eric, who loves this Trinitarian kind of dialogue, and he thought it was okay. It's not biblical, but I think it works. When we come together, there's unity around the object of worship. The object of worship is Father, Son, Spirit. And we come to the Father and Son and Spirit through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we all affirm that. It's a common confession of the church at College Park. That is what we're all about. But here's what I love, too. And it's not just an add-on. As a matter of fact, it's part of what worship is all about. There's diversity in the exercise of worship. Unity in the object, diversity in the exercise. And I don't know about you, but I tell you what God thinks. God doesn't like, he doesn't like static, boring, non-dimensional, vanilla-covered worship. He doesn't like it. Here's what he does like. He loves the glory of his creation with all of its diversity coming together in unity so that the singing isn't in unison, it's in harmony. And it's going to sound a little bit different from different sides of the church, but it's going to crescendo together to the glory of God. (laughs) That's what he likes. That's what he loves because he's triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. As a matter of fact, last week, I hope you were here last week because, man, I was so juiced, is that the right word? Excited, pumped up with the choir. And not just the choir, but I mean, we had these people up here 
And they were singing. And see, I don't hear very well, and I don't understand music very well. That's why I married Kathy. She's got that part, so we complement each other. But I do know the end product. I kind of like or don't like, and I have no idea why. I loved it last week. Because you had all these different groups, and they're singing altos and, and whatever else they're singing. And then you had this group down here of people. They're taking these these just, you know, things, and they're making music. And then you've got, you know, I just love the Laurie-Chuck combo, you guys. It, to me, it's like... Diversity coming together in unity. It's like these people that are just... And, and then, and then, and you know what's really cool is when we all together join with the chorus and with these guys and with those guys and we say, Not to us, Lord. Not to us. That's what the choir sang last week. But to you. To you be the glory, right? And it was the beauty of diversity. And I don't know what you think Revelation 5 looks like. (laughs) And if you don't know what Revelation 5 is, go open it up and read it. And you've got creatures and you've got all kinds of wild, bizarre type things. And all of them together, with the weirdness of what they all are, are saying one thing. And it's not to us, not to us, but to you be the glory. That's what worship is. Man, I love that. You know, and I love the diversity of worship. And you know what I know, too, about the church, because I've been around for a little while, that some of us don't like the diversity of the exercise We want everybody to sing the songs we like. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've got a certain set of songs that I like. And another set of songs that I don't like as well. I'm just going to be honest with you. And here's what I've learned with my Trinitarian lenses. And that is, I can appreciate diversity even if I don't like it. You know, that's a good thing to learn. And, and here's the other thing I learned. It reminds me of my mother saying, I used to, I love, I've always loved steak, roast beef, you know, any of that kind of stuff that's good for you. I mean, it's, or maybe it's not. But anyway, I've always liked that. And then she said, no, nah, you need to eat your Brussels sprouts. And you need to eat your peas. And you need to get a broader taste, you know, because if you get a broader taste, life is going to be fuller. And I'm like, it's full enough. Give me steak and candy bars. That's good enough for me. <laughs> But I ate enough Brussels sprouts and I'm one of the weirdest people on planet Earth because I like Brussels sprouts. So tell your kids, there's at least one person on planet Earth that likes it. And I actually do. And I'll actually order them in the restaurant. I remember my dad ordering liver in the restaurant. I thought, he's just playing with us. <laughs> he's ordering that just because he knows we don't like it. And he doesn't like it either, but he wants to pretend like he does. I actually like Brussels sprouts. You know, there's that sense of taste that when you broaden your taste, is that good or bad? I'm here to tell you it's good. And when we worship that one God and we broaden our perspectives, and, and by the way, broadening perspectives, just for the sake of broadening perspectives, that's, there's no value to that. Diversity for diversity's sake, there's no value. But diversity that glorifies one unified God. Uh, did, you, did, you, did you hear the scripture reading this morning? I like the Chinese reading. And I, I would try to imitate it, but I'm sure I would, it would sound like I was making fun of it, and that would not be my intent. That there's something so melodic about it, you know? And it just has this, and I, I have zero idea what any of the words he said, except I knew what the translation was. And, and there was something cool about that, isn't it? The voices that are, that are different, and they come together in unity, and that's what corporate worship is about. And I tell you what, here's what we need to do. We need to smash our idols, and we need to come together as the people of God and say we worship corporately. <laughs> we also have gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, if we had time to go through that, and Paul spends several chapters, because the people at, at, the people in the church in Corinth were struggling with people that had gifts that they didn't have, and they got mad at them. I love College Park because, and I'm looking around, we got so many gifted people here, like maybe all of you. And it's so diverse, because some of you are gifted in some areas and not the same as others, and isn't that what, part of what Paul's talking about? And to bring together the diversity of gifts, you can see it up here at times, And I think that's really cool. Diversity comes together and brings this unified object of worship. But I see it with there's a group that knits to the glory of God. Knits to the glory of God. Go for it. And there are people that are painting for the glory of God. And people that are reading for the glory of God. And people that are witnessing to their neighbors for the glory of God. And and you can go on and on and on. And here's what the church ought to be. An incredible amount of diversity that comes together in unity under who God is. We've got to keep doing that. We've got to do it with vigor. There's various races and genders. And I thought, okay, there's only two genders. Aren't you glad there aren't three? I mean, it's tough enough to figure two. I think God knew what he was doing. And there's various backgrounds. We have, and I'm sure we've got more than this, we have African Americans, we've got African Africans. I don't know if that's politically correct. We've got Asians, we've got Middle Easterns, we've got Latin Americans, we've got, um, and all the rest. 
And, and you know what? A church having that kind of diversity, just to have that kind of diversity, it, it may as well be a social club. But you know what's really cool is to see that kind of diversity come together and glorify and honor and worship and seek to serve that one God. Um, you know what? You read the book of Revelation and you talk about diversity. You get some from every people and tribe, nations, tongues, all those, all together glorifying the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. <laughs> we have a number of ministry areas. And you know, in our corporate worship, we're led by two guys who are both really cool Trinitarian thinkers. One is Eric, and he and I have had hours of talking about the Trinity, and he doesn't he love to introduce, I welcome you in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and we're like, okay, and maybe we ought to just then say, wow, here we are in the presence of Father, Son, and Spirit, and Mark... Mark, worship in corporate worship is there's that singing and the diversity that's there. And then Mark comes and he's the spokesperson for God. He's the one that is to lead it. He's not God. We do understand that, right? He's not God. His mission is to speak the words of God to us. So that then we say through his word, that's what unifies us. And we walk out of here saying, maybe I missed a couple idols before I came in. I'm smashing some idols. And maybe there were times when, man, I didn't really eat to the glory of God. I'm going out of here to eat to the glory of God and drink to the glory of God and do what else to the glory of God because I've heard God speak. <laughs> and then we have guys like Don, my brother. Who's, who, you talk about a Trinitarian, a, a guy that lives out the Trinity. He goes to those, those babies those drooling babies and says they're the next generation they're the image of God and as a church we need to teach them so that they will act by what they've taught of who God is and and compassion he takes the broken people the diversity of the church and pulls it together and says we got one common mission let's go after that mission and Doug takes the broken (laughs) you know those of us that have needed you know what your biggest need in counseling is you need a new set of glasses And, and he could be helpful in doing that You're not looking at the world through the lenses of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So here, let me help you to see better because you're not seeing real clearly. And Mary Beth, and I remember when she came on staff, wow, what a good day that was because she's a woman. And she brings to the staff this perspective, and there are many other women on staff. She was like the, I don't know, first one, at least that I remember. And there was something so beautiful about that to be able to engage uh, part of the body of Christ together in unity. And then we got Dale. Man, a couple years ago, Dale said he was going to shift from being very, doing really well in missions, and he went into assimilation, which sounds Trinitarian to me. It's like saying the Father, Son, and Spirit want people to assimilate. They want people to get together in unity, to worship God in unity. And that's a big part of his passion. Joe Rice, the administrator, how can you be a Trinitarian administrator? Here's part of the way. There's so many threads out there. There's so many things going on at a church of our size. Here's what the administrator is supposed to do, and he works at it. Let's bring those threads together so that together we are able to jointly and as one voice glorify God Almighty. <laughs> and then we've got Nate, and Nate's actually the next slide. <laughs> See, College Park, we need to be a church that affirms there's one God and that in our core relationships, we reflect that triune God. In our corporate relationships, we reflect that triune God. And then reason four and five, and we're going to do these quickly, is that the God who relates to us, relates to us and our families, relates to us in our church, has a desire to relate to the world. And look at this, Matthew 28. And this was what was read this morning. And this is one of the most obvious Trinitarian verses in all the Bible, because the Trinity is mentioned. And here's the statement, go therefore and make disciples. Like, wow, that's a mouthful. Our mission statement, (laughs) and you know, Eric says it in most services, it's igniting a passion to follow Jesus. And, and, And it comes from Matthew 28, and it's just a little more contemporized and maybe just catches our attention because we're so familiar with this, that here's what the mission of the church is. It's God's mission, and God's mission is this, to make disciples, and it's to make disciples of Jesus... And disciples are those that follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, you know where that'll take you. I really wish I'd made a questionnaire because that would have been a great question for people to answer. Because some would say, well, it'll take you in bad places and hard places. Here's where it ultimately takes you. If you follow Jesus, it takes you to the Father. That's, That's where he takes you. He takes you to the Father. He takes you to God. And the mission of the church, and it's God's mission, is to bring people, not just to say, let's get them and make converts. It's to bring people and say, let's make sons of God and daughters of God. 
to bring them into relationship with the triune God. And that's why they're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The relational God wants to have a relationship with people. And the mission of the church is to proclaim a God of love who loves them and is intensely desirous of solving their sin problem so they can come in right relationship with him. And that's what the church is about. And, you know, we have a whole group. And Nate's the guy that's really just burned. He's burned in my heart the idea of what it means to be a disciple maker. And I don't do it very well, but at least I understand the nuance. We have nine partnerships, which is kind of cool. And those partnerships are, and I think I could read what I wrote them down, Nicaragua. That's always my first one because I love going to Nicaragua. And there's India, and there's East Asia, and there's Cambodia, and there's the Ukraine, and there's Kenya, and there's Hungary, and there's the Caspian area, and there's Brazil, and there's Liberia. And, and I got the nine, and here's what we corporately are supposed to be doing as a church. We're to be loving one another, and then we're to be looking outside and saying God's love extends beyond our borders. We're to make disciples of all the Ethne or the ethnics or all nations and bring them into the communion that is the triune God. What a mission, church. What a mission. Which brings me to my last point. And, and I love this, and this is going to lead us into the Lord's Supper this morning. Our relationship to the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit is through Jesus. That's why when we were studying Colossians, Jesus is the core. And look at this verse. And, you know, I've, I've read this verse. I memorized it when I was real little. And there was something about the preparation of this that just, just, it just invigorated my heart. Here's Jesus talking. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, that's a mouthful in and of itself. And then he makes this exclusive statement that ticks people off. Nobody... Only the people that understand this. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And you'll debate with people all day long about that. But do you see what Jesus is saying there? Jesus is saying, if you want to get to the Father, and I think by inference he's saying the Father, Son, and Spirit, you get to the Father through me. I'm the entree. This morning we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And part of what we're saying is, you want to get to the Father, you want to have a relationship with God, it comes through Jesus who took His, our sins on him, didn't he? So that we would have the opportunity to be declared the righteousness of God in him and come into the presence of the Father. You know, the last couple of months, I've had the privilege of going to this restaurant in downtown Indianapolis that's at the top of one of the biggest buildings in Indianapolis. And it's like the best restaurant I've ever been to and the best food I've ever eaten. And I was invited there by a couple of friends, two different occasions, And so we get in the elevator and go up, and I'm already thinking, I'm not in the right place. I don't belong here. And I go up to the, I don't know what number floor, but it was double digits. Get out. And I'm kind of like, I'm hanging on to this guy. So we go up, and there's this, I guess he's a maitre d'. Does that sound right? Something like that. Looked to me like the guard, you know. And I'm thinking... How am I going to get past this guy? And the thing that's so cool is this maitre d' says, Hello, mister. And he wasn't saying me, it wasn't Mr. Bartimus, it was Mr. the guy I was with. Welcome. And he takes us over to like one of the best seats right next to the window. And then this incredible food that was there. And I'm like hiding behind this guy hoping nobody sees me. Because it's like, I don't fit, I don't belong. And then I think about, I don't belong having a relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. We don't belong. Except we do in Christ, right? And that's a huge Except. It's through Jesus and we hide behind his righteousness that we come to the Father who is the triune God.